programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m., offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Ibu Patel founded the Interfaith Youth Corps to counter the growing problem of religious intolerance and violence at home and abroad. Interfaith Youth Corps trains students to bridge the faith divide through interfaith cooperation. And Ibu Patel says that interfaith interactions can be a bomb of destruction, a barrier of division, a bubble of isolation, or a bridge of cooperation. And he says he's inspired to build a bridge of cooperation by his faith as a Muslim, his Indian heritage, and his American citizenship. He was named by U.S. News & World Report as one of the America's Best Leaders of 2009. He's author of three books about interfaith cooperation, including Acts of Faith and Sacred Ground. And uh, he uh, serves on the Council on Foreign Relations and the Department of Homeland Security's Faith-Based Advisory Council. He holds a doctorate in the Sociology of Religion from Oxford University, where he studied as a Rhodes Scholar. He's coming to Utah for several events at Utah State University. The Convocation Address, to which everyone is invited, it's free and open to the public, is entitled Building Bridges of Interfaith Cooperation. That is next week. It's in the Kent Concert Hall on the OSU campus, 7 p.m., Thursday, September 4th. There will be a book signing immediately after the event. Books will be available at the venue and at the OSU bookstore as well. And the Convocation is a kicking-off event for a Better Together campaign at USU. It's being organized by members of a newly organized USU Interfaith Initiative. And the next event is a student-led interfaith speed-faithing panel, which will be held uh, at the Taggart Student Center on Wednesday, September 17th. By the way, anybody interested in participating with the USU Interfaith Initiative can email the group interfaith at usu.edu. They're also on Facebook and Twitter as USU Interfaith Initiative. So with that long uh, introduction, Ibo Patel, welcome to the program. It's terrific to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you being with us, and uh, thanks for coming out to Utah. I look forward to the events out here. Um, I'd like to start with, with some of your biography, uh, answer the question uh, how you got, got involved in the, this work and, and this passion uh, of yours. Uh, so I understand you grew up in Illinois. That's right. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I live in the city of Chicago right now. And uh, uh, growing up in high school, I had friends from a range of different religious identities and backgrounds. I had a friend who was a Cuban Jew, uh, a Nigerian evangelical friend, a South Indian Hindu friend, a Catholic friend, and an LDS friend, who was probably my closest friend in my latter years in high school. And actually, we dated for a, a, a year. Uh, so I grew up amidst religious diversity, uh, but we never talked about religion which is something that uh, I found could actually be a, a bad thing, because oftentimes when there's a vacuum about a topic, it's, it's nefarious forces or negative forces that fill that vacuum. So there was a period of time in my high school years when uh, kind of the thugs in my school started going after my Jewish friend, saying anti-Semitic things in the hallways and scrawling anti-Semitic things on desks. And uh, I realized that uh, the people who were willing to talk about religion were the people who were open anti-Semites. And those of us who thought that religion was a, a bridge of cooperation uh, or that religion could be something that we engaged positively, our silence had created a vacuum for uh, negative forces to fill. And it was years later, I think, you, you found out, you talked to this friend, this Jewish friend, about how he felt during that period. 
That's right. And uh, you know, I remember it was uh, uh, one of the summers uh, during our college years. We were back together in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, he shared with me that, that those were the worst months of his life and that the hardest part of it wasn't uh, uh, the terrible things that those thugs in my high school were saying. It was the silence of his friends. And I remember uh, feeling just humiliated, uh, shamed by that. I still think it's the most humiliating moment of my life as I look back. Uh, um, and I remember having a conversation with my dad not long after, and my dad was deeply disappointed in me. And he said, Ibu, you failed your friend, but you also failed your faith. And that was a striking statement to me. And, and it actually uh, was one of the reasons for me delving deeper into my own religion of Islam and learning about the the Muslim inspiration to stand up for other people, including, and in some cases, especially people from other traditions. And you describe, I think this is in Acts of Faith, you describe sitting around lunchroom table with all these friends, very diverse group, but you, you, as, as you said before, you, you never really talked about your faith never totally talked about religion i mean things would come up things i can't eat right now or or things i'm I'm doing because you know because of my religion but it's just sort of an elephant in the room that's right Uh, and actually we you know we did uh we pretended that the elephant wasn't in the room uh it, it it didn't seem like an issue until other people negatively made it an issue and this is one of the key reasons that uh, I started getting into interfaith cooperation and started Interfaith Youth Corps. Number one, because we ha- unfortunately have a lot of negative forces out there in the country and the world, uh, forces that, that seek to create religious division, that seek to advance religious prejudice, and, and in some cases that are, are outright physically destructive in the form of violence. Uh, that tends to happen more in other parts of the world. But in, in a globalized world, we're certainly subject to those forces. But there's a more positive side of it also. I think to myself, uh, I could have learned so much from from my friends from other religions. Um, uh, you know, there's in, in my own Muslim community, volunteerism is a major ethic. And, you know, we would be involved in, uh, in projects uh, with homeless shelters and in disaster relief and in environmental cleanups. And as I learned more about my friends' religions, I realized that service was an important ethic across those religions. And I think to myself, you know, what if we had cooperated together? How much more could we have done for people who were uh, destitute in the western suburbs of Chicago? How much more could we have done uh, regarding environmental cleanups had we cooperated? So in my view, interfaith cooperation is mostly about accentuating the positive, accentuating uh, um, the learning we can have from each other, deepening into our own religions, cooperating to serve others, but it's also about neutralizing the negative, if you will, making sure that the forces of prejudice, uh, the forces of, of division and violence do not win the day when it comes to religiously diverse societies. You talk a lot about religious pluralism and the importance of, of that, embracing that. That's the real divide. We'll get into that as we go along. I'd like to uh, talk about your, your college days. Before we get get there, there's an interesting passage in, in Acts of Faith um, it sounds like you had a great relationship with your grandmother. I don't know if she's still alive. You know, she uh, she is. She's in her mid-90s. She's still going. She's still doing the great work that she's doing. And, and you're right that uh, she, uh, being with her during the uh, summer 
not long after I graduated from college, was a turning point in my life. Uh, uh, the story is that I woke up in her apartment in, in the southern part of the city of Bombay in India one day. I was staying with her over the summer, and uh, there was a woman in her, in her little apartment uh, who, who was new. Uh, she was a young woman in her 20s, and she didn't look like she was part of the extended family or she was part of the household help. And I said to my grandmother, I said, you know, Mama, who is this woman? And my grandmother says, yeah, you know, I don't know her real name. Uh, the leader of the local Muslim community brought her here because she's having a difficult time at home. She's being abused by her uncle and her father. So I told uh, the the leader of the Muslim community that I would take care of her for a while. Let's call her Anissa while she's here, and we'll get her to a to a different place to get her to safety soon. And I kind of gave my grandmother a mild scolding. I said, you know, Mama, you can't just take in refugee women from the streets into your home. You know, you're, you're getting up there in age, and this is dangerous, not just for you, but for all of us. And my grandmother gave me this arched eyebrows look, and she said, uh, how old are you? And I said, 22. And she said, I've been doing this work for twice the number of years that you've been alive. And she went to a, uh, a cupboard and she brought out this shoebox. And inside the shoebox was all of these Polaroid pictures, dozens and dozens of pictures of these young women that she had taken into her home over the past half century and effectively kept safe, nursed back to health, helped them get jobs, uh, helped them continue their education. Uh, she pointed at one, she said, her teeth were bad and I helped I helped her get her teeth fixed. I found a dentist who would do it uh, for low cost. And and after, you know, my grandmother tells me seven or eight of these stories, I said, you know, what, why do you do this? And my grandmother looked at me as if, you know, what, isn't the reason obvious? And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. She said, well, I'm a Muslim. This is what we Muslims do. And similar to that moment with my dad about failing my Jewish friend when my dad said, you failed your faith, this was a turning point in my relationship with Islam because I saw with my own eyes the kind of work that Islam inspired my grandmother to do. And I had deep respect for it. And I started to, to ask myself, you know, if I'm going to call myself a Muslim, one who submits to the will of God, um, if I'm going to claim Islam as my own religion, what am I doing to make myself worthy of that tradition? And uh, so then you, of course, you investigated your own faith, became more, I guess, converted to your own faith, but you looked outside as well. You looked at other faiths. Would, uh... Well, you know, this, uh, uh, my path really between, I would say, the ages of 17 and 22 or 23 was, was I think, learning about a range of faiths. And, and then ultimately that moment with my grandmother was kind of a... Uh, um, sealed my own commitment and deepening into Islam. And having learned about that range of other traditions, the LDS tradition, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, Catholicism, Protestant Christianity, I had deep admiration for all of those. And I was seeing the commonalities across them, especially when it comes, comes to serving others. But ultimately, uh, I think people have to have a home, at least I do. And my home uh, was and is in Islam. Hmm. Um, uh, there's an interesting quote, and I believe this is in um, uh, maybe Acts of Faith. I'll just read this. It's about a paragraph. Have you respond to it. You say, I'm an American Muslim from India. My adolescence was a series of rejections, 
one after another, of the various dimensions of my heritage in the belief that America, India, and Islam could not coexist within the same being. If I wanted to be one, I could not be the others. My struggle uh, to understand the traditions I belong to as mutually enriching rather than mutually exclusive is the story of a generation of young people standing at the crossroads of inheritance and discovery trying to look both ways at once. And I think what you're getting at there is you're representative of many young people. Well, uh, you know, um, honestly, I I wrote the book uh, eight or ten years ago, uh, and I'm I'm not sure that I would make uh, such a grandiose claim now. Um, I do think that that many people, young and and uh, young and young at heart, if you will, um, they feel themselves connected to multiple stories, multiple traditions. Uh, uh, they have they have an intersection of identities, and figuring out how that intersectionality is going to exist within a single being, I think is is a beautiful challenge and struggle, and I think that one that uh, uh, young people feel particularly sharply. So, you know, figuring out how I was going to understand being Indian and Muslim and American um, in in social circles in which one identity might have been deeply accepted and others uh, looked at dismissively. Um, and then, of course, I'd go to a different circle and say, uh, everybody wanted to ignore me being Muslim, but they embraced me being American. I, you know, I had to figure out who I was, given those variety of, of internal identities and that range of circles that I'm in. And, and I would say that that, 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 is, that is now the standard story for the vast majority of, of American young people, that at some point, that, that, that they are many things. Um, they're not just American. They're not just LDS. They're not just uh, uh, Samoan. They are all of those things. They're American and Samoan and LDS, and that they're going to exist in a range of different circles that has a variety of ways of looking at those different identities. And that negotiation, I think, is a very challenging negotiation. And it's one of the things that... that we uh, we focus on at IFYC. We're talking with Ibu Patel. Uh, he is founder and president of Interfaith Youth Corps. Uh, he founded this to counter the growing problem of religious intolerance and violence at home and abroad. Uh, IFYC trains students to bridge the faith divide using uh, interfaith cooperation. And uh, Ibu Patel is coming to Utah. There are several events at Utah State University. He'll give a convocation address next week. It's entitled Building Bridges of Interfaith Cooperation. It's in the Kent Concert Hall in the USU campus, 7 p.m. on Thursday, September 4th. This event is free and open to the public. There will be a book signing of his latest book, Sacred Ground, immediately after. Books are available at the USU Bookstore and will be for sale at the convocations as well. And the convocation is a kicking-off event for the USU Better Together campaign. That's being organized by members of the USU Interfaith Initiative. This is new to USU. Their next event is a student-led interfaith speed-faithing panel, which will be held in the Taggart Student Center Auditorium from uh, beginning at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, September 17th. Anyone interested in participating in this or other events or participating in the USU Interfaith Initiative can email the group at interfaith at usu.edu. They're also on Facebook and Twitter as USU Interfaith Initiative. And uh, there's a roundtable 
uh, Ibu Patel is leading on Friday, September 5th of next week, 8 to 10 a.m. It's entitled Catalyzing Interfaith Leadership Best Practices. There are just a few spots remaining uh, for this by-invitation-only event, and those people interested in committing at least an hour a week to being part of the initiative can contact interfaith at usu.edu. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, this statement from Ibu Patel. He says, religious extremism is a movement of the young taking action, and therefore uh, needs to be counteracted with uh, young people uh, on, the, on the other side, embracing religious pluralism. We'll talk about that and much more with Ibu Patel following the break. This is Steve Tracy, bringing more to life. For the first time, adult couples have more parents than children. How do you prepare for this new role? Communication is key to success in any job. The role of caretaker is no exception. Begin with your parents' wishes. Talk to them about personal goals, housing, legal, financial, and medical decisions. Some of these conversations may be easy. Some will be difficult. Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan, advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. 